0: You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable.
1: That is why you are here. So, welcome back, everybody. Um, Hey, I did change the opening again. That's two weeks in a row we're running. I'm flying here, folks. Doing good. But... Yay. (laughs) Yay. That's the positive response. My microphone is acting really weird. Uh, The volume levels are changing on it, so if it points during the show, my my volume suddenly spikes or whatever, I apologize. Hopefully I can fix it, and you guys will never hear it, therefore making my apology mute and pointless. But Mm. this week, we have Michael Hughes coming on the show. Michael Hughes, um, which I'm sure we're going to discuss with him, um, th- we probably will end up talking a little bit of politics, but this will not turn into a political show by any means. But I say that because Michael Hughes is the guy that is responsible for for starting the whole wizard war for lack of a better term with the the white witches casting spells to bind trump so not to hurt him but to keep him from doing stupid policies or affecting things or going to affect other people and on the other side of it you have the mass christian churches have you seen the videos of these people like in mass congregations mm-hmm. trying to do counter prayer versus the spells that are it's mm-hmm. it's insane like like me and you have known Fucking Michael stupid. for a little while, and we've known about this stuff, but I didn't really know it was that insane until I started right. seeing the videos. It's, nuts. <laughs> it's like it's nuts. what? It's been
0: nuts the whole time. It's fucking stupid.
1: And Michael at first used to be really, he's like, I'm not a witch, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think he's kind of embraced it as a term of endearment at this point. But anyhow, he wrote a book called Magic for the Resistance. Um, it's rituals and spells for change, blah, blah. We're probably going to touch on that a little bit because it is a new book. But the main reason he's coming on the show is being that we're strange history nerds. Um, I've always wanted to do a show on the history of the tarot. Uh, tarot cards, where they came from how they all got started, and it's it's actually a really fascinating history because it didn't start out as a divination tool, it started out as an actual game and then things as they do got mutated and changed and went along until it's where it's at now where most people don't know it was a game or even how to play it as a game anymore and when you say tarot you just think oh that's what people use to you know predict people's futures and things like that and the artwork has gotten incredibly intricate and the legends behind it have all gotten convoluted and weird so i said hey uh, michael um... you know he i know he taught a college course on this It was a non-credit course i can't remember where But I was like, let's let's do this show. Let's you know, let's come on here and talk about the history of tarot, which I'm going to basically force him to take this complicatedly long history and crunch it down into an hour. So this should be interesting and entertaining. So uh, no pressure. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. But anyways, so uh, as always, I guess we'll just jump into the interview and we will see you guys at the other side. You're going to do the bye bye thing. Regida. What? Regida. She'll know what it means. Regina. Reggie! Okay, here we go. returning back to the show it's been a while i think it's been over a year maybe a year and a half at least is michael m Hughes? so welcome back good sir it's a pleasure to talk to you it's always been a pleasure to talk to you on shows that i've been on with you when i've been on soraya's show and things um and i've very much been looking forward to getting you back here to talk about all kinds of crazy uh, been great. stuff so how yeah. have you been things,
0: things are going really well and it's great to be back on your show
1: Mm-hmm. so i gotta ask um your most recent book, Magic for the Resistance, uh, Rituals and Spells for Change. Um, you were the, and I'm, I'm very proud to say this to people that when I, when this subject comes up, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very arrogant about, you know, I'm like, yeah, I know that guy, about the whole. Um, when you, you started this whole thing off of casting spells and stuff mm-hmm. to, um, again, we're not a political show, but you started this off to more or less bind Trump, right. not to hurt him is what you like to say, is, is not to hurt or cause pain or harm, but simply to bind him and keep different policies and things like that from happening and things mm-hmm. es- escalating and spiraling out of control. Um, when you sp- started all this, it was like, okay, it was talked about and mm-hmm. it was uh, referred to as witches casting <laughs> spells against the president. <laughs> and I remember you were like, "I'm not a witch," you know. But whatever. Um, you don't see me fighting that anymore. I think you've kind of taken it as a term of endearment. But since you've started that, this has gotten. This has become a thing. This has become a real thing. It seems like where other people are. You know, this is like a. You mm-hmm. do this once a month or whatever. Right. You have a date and you say, "This is what we're going to do." And so, how has this evolved? again,
0: it's it's been a very surreal. <laughs> experience yeah. from the beginning when I originally posted the binding spell and I thought, you know, maybe a half dozen people might find it interesting or funny uh, and It just it went globally viral within a matter of hours, and I think the reason that happened is because, um, you know, people feel very disempowered in many ways today. Uh, A lot of people were very upset with the way things were going politically, and. Um, it was just the right thing at the right time and yeah I'm not a witch I practice magic but I've never practiced witchcraft um you know except for a brief flirtation with it uh, back in the 90s when I was just kind of learning about magic and things like that but it did become witches uh, versus the president and I just kind of had to roll with that because when when the you know when the general public hears magic or spells they think witches it's just it's just you know culturally what people think uh because of our popular culture depictions of magic and things like that um But it really did blow up. It became an international thing. And yes, there are thousands of people, uh, a lot of witches, but not all witches, again, uh, who, who do this particular ritual every month. And if it's any indication, you know, there's a Facebook group uh, that where a lot of us kind of congregate. And that's, that's closing in on 4,000 people. And every day there are more people joining that group. So it really seems to me like this is something that, um, that is, is real and it's here to stay. And, you know, I have a a lot of different thoughts on, on what it means culturally and politically and things like that, but at its, at its root, I mean, I really think that when you do something ritualistically um, uh, you know, whether you call it a spell or whether a prayer or something like that, you really, in a way it's really aligning yourself with, uh, with your beliefs and your morals and the things that you, that you, you know, the concepts and principles that, that you believe are important in your life. So if nothing else, this is a way for people to reaffirm what they stand for, what they stand against. And it it, it really has borne fruit in a, in a way that I absolutely could not have foreseen at all.
1: <laughs> I know you've probably seen it, but I got to ask, have you seen the videos of these mega churches that are, that are doing the counter prayer, like the counter spell <laughs> I, to what you guys I mean, are I've, doing? I've have only you, heard of it.
0: I know that there are lots of, you know, uh, prayer group, organized prayers for the president and things like that. And a lot of people who, you know, have these kind of what I consider strange ideas about him being, uh, you know, some sort of uh, some sort of reborn Uh, the fulfillment of a prophecy, that's what it is, that a lot of them believe. And, you know, I think it's kind of silly, but, um, (laughs) you know, a lot of people think casting spells is silly too, so hey. Uh, But, you know, I I see it as a natural reaction to what we're doing. Um, My personal beliefs are that that, uh, fundamentalist Christianity has gone so haywire, and it's it's turned really antithetical to the kind of Christianity that I believe in, um, which is about, you know, like taking care of poor people and sick people and and, you know, and loving people versus encouraging hate and prejudice and bigotry and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, people have asked me before they say, well, um, you know, are, what do you think? What, what about the power of all these, you know, evangelical Christians praying for the president? And, and my response is always, well, if if Jesus is actually uh, listening, um, I. I you know i can't imagine jesus supporting um this the the current president or or the or the general trends that i see uh coming from the the extreme end of the republican party i mean to me like jesus would would throw those people out just like he threw out the money lenders out of the temple again you know that's that's my perception, but I've you know I grew up in a Christian household, and I, I believe the real Christians are out there trying to help people, and uh, versus you know trying to make giant bucket loads of money, and saying bad things about people and judging people and condemning uh, people that are different or who might have different you know sexual preferences and things like that. So uh, yeah, I I, I I see it. Uh, but it, uh, I, I don't think it affects what we're doing at all.
1: I got a, my daughter come into my, to my office a few weeks ago and she had her phone with her and she's like, it was an article about Mm -hmm. what's going on in relation to all this magic and stuff like that. And she knows she know okay, she knows dad's weird, you know, blah blah blah. She knows I have a weird podcast and stuff. And she's now that she's older, she actually sends me articles and stuff every once in a while, some funny stuff here and there. So she's getting a swing of things. But she walks in on her phone and she hands me this and she goes, Have you seen this? Have you seen what's going on? I'm like, Oh yeah, that's Michael. I know that guy. And I reached over and grabbed your book and I handed it to her. I'm like, That's this guy right here. I know him. That's him. Yeah, it's funny it's what was funny that? to me
0: that, that- so. Uh, witches are suddenly hot, you know, uh, witchcraft is is blowing <laughs> blowing up in a way that uh, really I haven't seen a parallel uh, since the 1970s when I was a kid and the occult and the supernatural and things like that were really, you know, really a big part of of popular culture, and it's coming around again. Um, I think a lot of it is that um, a lot of younger people, as they generally tend to do, uh, really start to question uh what what their culture has told them what their parents have told them and a lot of them are seeing you know becoming disenchanted with mainstream religion I mean we see all the the sexual abuse scandals and we see you know evangelicals getting caught like sex stings and stuff like that and uh, and so I think they're looking they're they're feeling a need for a spiritual sort of worldview or practice in their lives.
1: Yeah, damn millennials ruin I, everything. I love the millennials, frankly. <laughs> wow. you know, I, think, I, think,
0: I think they're doing amazing stuff. Yes, yeah, so uh, But so They're so no why. good and they're lazy. Oh wait, no, they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah, we kind of we kind of ruined yeah, the economy for it's them, many, so I, we blame it on them. Yeah, um, right. We're leaving them a <laughs> shithole, and it's their fault. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I think it's it's really cool though that so many I, are embracing I, these kinds of spiritual practices that that, that empower people personally versus having to, you know, go to a church and have a priest or a minister be the mediator between you and whatever spiritual force that you believe in. And it's, it's fascinating to me that, 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 that so many are embracing, uh, magical practices and things like that. And yeah, a lot of it's probably cultural, you know, they grew up in, saw the craft or you, know, or, you know, grew up reading Harry Potter and watching the movies and all that stuff. So you can, you can blame some of it on that, but I think at a deeper level, they're really kind of reaching back to older traditions and traditions that uh, connect people individually to sources of spiritual power. Uh, and, and that's, I think that's a great, I think that's a really beautiful, uh, um, transformation uh in our society i think it's healthy i think it's very empowering to people to to feel like they can assert some kind of control and connect to something you know higher or more or more uh you know more universal than than themselves so i think it's a really great thing it's it's really cool to watch
1: nope yeah you'll get no argument from us on that um uh, I'll say this though, it's like it's like it, it's that time of the month again, but I get this feeling like that once a month I get this image of like two people playing <laughs> Magic the Gathering, you know, and one side you've got your clan and on the other side you've got the other clan, and like this is, uh. you know, everybody's throwing spell decks down and stuff like that. I can't say uh, I can recall a time like this ever in history since possibly, you know, like the Victorian era where you have, you know, uh, John Dee out there casting, you know, spells to keep France from invading. Yeah, England there's... Uh, or something like that, oh, sorry, you know? go ahead. But, um, uh, I was just, you can go ahead and finish up. I no, was going to yeah. ready to jump into um, what we were yeah, talking Yeah, it is about, really
0: interesting, and um, it, it, the parallels... I, I in in my book, uh, I cover the whole idea of magic being used as a method of resistance to for for social and political ends. And uh, you know there there's a there's a lot of it. There were witches who were um, some of the tales are a little apocryphal. Some are some are more established. You know, which is an occultist during World War II, when they were trying to prevent Hitler uh, first from invading England, then then they were just trying to protect England from the bombing and things like that. Um, uh, uh, Dion Fortune was an occultist. Who uh, sent out these letters to her? She the it was called the Fraternity of the Inner Light. Now it's called the Society of the Inner Light, with instructions on meditations and rituals to do, to prevent the Nazi uh, to prevent the Nazis from winning the war. And Gerald Gardner, one of the founders of modern witchcraft, he tells a tale of his his coven. Uh, the New Forest Coven, who gathered and they did this uh, this ritual to prevent Hitler from invading England. So there's – and even during uh, – even in the U.S., there was a group – and I didn't know this when I came up with the whole uh, Trump binding spell, but there was a, a group of, uh, of, of kind of Maryland and D.C., uh young people 20 somethings who did these hitler hexing parties and life magazine even covered it they came they, they all went to a uh, this little cabin in Western Maryland and they had a dressing doll and they dressed it up like Hitler and they did all these incantations against it and stabbed it with, with nails and at the very end cut cut off its head and buried it outside of the cabin somewhere. <laughs> so, and, but, but, but this all goes back to the idea that, huh. that magic has always been used by people who have no other no other power, uh, like enslaved people in the U.S. and in the Americas and in Haiti, uh, used. You know, in Haiti, the the um, the actual Haitian revolution was fueled by uh, by voodoo, and in the in the U.S., uh, a practice called conjure or root work developed among enslaved people, and it basically they they took their um, they took their magical practices from Africa, and and it kind of f- found a new fertile ground. Uh, they were you know they were enslaved and they had you know as little power as anyone can have. So really, the way they tried to exercise control in their lives was through these magical practices that developed, conjure, root work. It, it goes by um, a number of uh, uh, different names. So it was really interesting to me that throughout history. When people feel like they need to push back against either their government or the people ruling over them, <clears throat> or or people who are enslaving them, and you really can't, you know, you can't go to a ballot box if you're a slave and try to change things. So what do you do? You you use whatever practices you can, and sometimes that includes magic. And uh, so there's really a lot of of extremely fascinating history there. I could have written a whole book on that in itself. Um, and I think there's probably room for someone someone to write that book.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it should yeah, be maybe. you. <laughs> I can think of no one else better to do it, actually. Well, I it think might you'd have. be great for it. <laughs> so, um, moving on, um, let's talk about a subject that we've sorely mm-hmm. neglected on this show, which is tarot. So, Tell us the history of tarot <laughs> and you've got to know Well um, <laughs> but yeah, you know where well, did it start and I, where do we go? Let-
0: First of all, I teach uh, tarot courses. I, I taught a series of courses called Tarot Bootcamp. And what that was was people would show up in the morning. Uh, I taught at, uh, at, I taught this at a program at Johns Hopkins University, in fact, the last time I did it. And it's a full day class and you start in the morning. And when I was thinking about how to do this class, I came to the conclusion that really in order to Understand tarot, you have to start at the beginning. You have to understand the history, and the reason is because there's so much garbage out there. Uh, there are very few subjects I think are so tainted in in the popular culture as as tarot. I mean, you ask people, you know, even fairly intelligent people about the origin of tarot, and they'll tell you it came from the ancient Egyptians and the gypsies or the Roma uh, brought it to Europe and, and you know, it's, it's all about ancient uh, mystery traditions and things like that. And unfortunately, none of that is actually true. So tarot began um, with playing cards. And a lot of people will tell you that our playing cards come from tarot, but it's actually the other way around. Uh, playing cards, the earliest playing sort of playing cards we know of were in China because China invented paper. Um, so you can't have cards until you have paper unless you're, you know, the Flintstones or something. and You just have big slabs of rock. <laughs> and, and that doesn't really work very well for, you know, a 70-some card deck. So uh, the first... The first cards that we know of were in were came from China, um, and then um, from the Islamic world. Some of the earliest cards we found are called the Mamluk deck, and uh, they were um, they were uh, the Mamluks were a, a sort of a royal family um, that that essentially drove the Crusaders out of the Holy Land. So it was a a pretty big dynasty. Uh, but the, some of the earliest cards, and interestingly, they have four suits. That's one thing that's remained standard up, up through our modern playing cards and through tarot cards as well. But t- so we, we've had – so cards started spreading around, like playing cards started spreading uh, through the uh, Islamic world and then made their way into Spain and uh then into Italy where Tarot first originated. And the first tarot cards that we have uh are from the early 15th century. So they're like from the, the four, like around the 1420s or so. And the first 78 card tarot decks. Um so let me backtrack. It's like before, so tarot, as it's defined now, is like a a a deck of cards, of suits. Just like we have today, but there's this extra layer uh, called the Trump cards, and um, it's of course fun. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. about that? Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the word's kind of tainted now in my in my uh, vocabulary. But hey, that's okay. We'll call them triumph. as yeah. triumph, triumph cards tri- or was what tri- they were called tri- originally. Feet. And so there, so there are these extra cards and these extra cards portray these kind of archetypal iconic images like the moon and the sun and death and all that. And that's what we associate, uh, that's what we call tarot cards. So those extra, usually 22 cards, major cards or trump cards. So the first, the first decks that we know of, uh, the first one that we that we actually have some of the cards from is called the Visconti Sforza deck, and these decks were really beautiful painted gold embossed cards that were made for royal families, royal families in, in Italy in the middle the late Middle Ages, and. Um, you, you you brought up a really interesting point that they were called triumphs. And the reason they were called triumphs is because there were these parades in the late Middle Ages and the early Renaissance in Italy. They were called triumph parades. And they would basically start with like some fools or beggars in the front. And then these parade floats would come by and they were really elaborate, almost like Mardi Gras floats. Um, and it would, they would basically work their way up through the levels of society. So at the very beginning, like I said, you'd have the fools and the beggars and you have the working people. And then you'd get allegorical um, things like uh, like love and love would be followed by chastity because chastity triumphs love. Like chastity in, in the morality of the Middle Ages was more important than like sexual or physical love. So each each float that would come by in this parade would kind of triumph over the previous one. So, it, so you, at the very end, you would get – the emperor would come through on his parade or the pope – so that's how the cards work. So you'd have like the moon float would come by and the moon would be eclipsed by the sun because the sun is more powerful. And at the very end, you'd get the emperor or in the case of, you know, of Europe at the time, the pope. So these parades were called triumph parades. And, the, and that's, that's triumphy In Italian, and that essentially became trumps just through the the change of the wording. So that's why we have, that's why the cards uh, kind of uh, are in the order that they are. And they end with, you know, the world card, the triumph of the world card, things like that. So we see these cards, the first cards. the early, the earliest, some of the earliest cards were hand painted, so a lot of people didn't have access to them. Um, they were only for the rich. And the, tr- and tarot was a game. It had nothing to do with fortune telling, it was a game like bridge. Where people would sit around, um, it's a trick-taking him. So you would gamble and bet on it, and that's why the church didn't like it, because uh, the church thought, "Hey, if you know, if you have extra money, you should be giving it to the church. You shouldn't be, you know, f- f- you know, just kind of frivolously throwing it away on silly, silly, sinful games."
1: Here's a question though wasn't most of the imagery on tarot oh, very much very yeah christian, and that's um christian that's why
0: though? you know people today when they think of tarot as like this you know occult, pagan sort of thing um no you know tarot began in deeply embedded in the christian um uh, you know the christian mythos the christian uh era and so the imagery was absolutely Christian There's a judgment card and it's people rising from their graves for the judgment. Um, the, the card that's now seen as you know the, the high priest or whatever was the Pope. Um, now there were some we- there were some oddities in the tarot like the papess or the female pope and there's all sorts of debate over what that meant um uh, whether it was pope joan who was kind of a heretical figure um or whether it meant the mo- it was like the icon iconography that meant the mother church but it was definitely it was completely christian in its iconography um but it was uh, it was a game and the church did not like games and they actually have used to have these things called the bonfire of the vanities, which became a, a book by Tom Wolfe and a, a movie um, back in the 80s or 90s. And uh, what they what these bonfires of the vanities were was the the church would build these big fires and people would come out and throw their vain things like wigs or games or toys, things that were seen as frivolous or, or vain or like combs and things like that. And often what was thrown into these bonfires of vanities were decks of cards. So a lot of historians think that's why we don't have a whole lot uh, of these of these older decks from the Middle Ages and from the Renaissance, um, also the fact that paper degrades and breaks down, as well. Um, so yeah, so the the first cards were were deeply steeped in Christian iconography. There are some exceptions that are non uh, tarot decks. There's a deck uh, called the Mantegna deck, which has uh, some some really interesting stuff in it. It's got like Apollo, the Muses the arts and sciences, so it's more like Neoplatonic um, sort of uh, iconography, and that's because th- it was closer to the Renaissance, so there were a lot of ideals from ancient Greece uh, and Rome that were, that were seeping into to culture, and were kind of uh, mingling with uh, the, the Christian iconography, there was, there was a, there was a really big mix of, of that in that era, you know, people weren't so afraid of, of, of ideas, um, you know, as as they are now, as like fundamentalist Christians are right now. So it's a really interesting syncretic mix of of Greek philosophy and Greek gods and things like that, and and Christianity. So you see that in decks like the Mantegna deck, um, and and a couple other decks that aren't. And the the deck, which had the the zodiac symbols, it had the four elements and things like that. So um, you know, it was more, it was a little more esoteric, let's say. But the tarot, yep, yep.
1: So I gotta ask one thing though, have you played the stupid app version that that you can download the original tarot card game on an app form? I believe it was called Tarochi or Tarochia or. Taroki, yes. It's Have you played really that hard. yet? Because it's it's, yeah, I, it's stupid I, I, hard. I, I try to, try to teach to play myself. Um,
0: <laughs> well, first of all, you need other players. You know, it's not something you play by yourself. I did try with that app and it is stupid hard. I mean, it's a it's like learning bridge or something, which which has always kind of confounded me. Um, but but once you learn it, mm. you know, it's it's like anything else. It's kind of become, become second nature.
1: I thought I was going to be all like esoteric and cool, and be like I'm going to download this game, and I'm going to be like, look, this is what Tarot actually yeah. is. And I'm trying to play, it and I'm like, what the yeah. hell are they doing? I know right some now? I, don't, I, I know what, some Tarot okay, historians what, that
0: have played it, I'm like, um, but generally it doesn't catch on with people um, because it is kind of difficult and and it feels a little bit archaic playing it. Um, so I tried, I. I had a hard time wrapping my head around the rules I, I you know it's not it's not an easy thing to grab some friends and go hey we're going to play Yeah this.
1: same with me <laughs> we we'll just go to the uninstall it's, button it's and hit that, that and forget we have hey, played we're this going to play the <laughs> archaic
0: game of Taroki um, but it is still played it is it is still played in Italy there you know it's uh it hasn't completely died out yep so there are still people that really? that play this game but there's so much like bullshit about Tarot um, and a lot of that is due to these uh these occultists in the eighteenth century who basically um made up all these stories uh and and because there was a lot of you know and really where where the tarot became an occult uh instrument is in the uh 1700s when Basically, uh, a whole bunch of uh, French Freemasons who were really interested in esotericism. And unfortunately, uh, there was a lot of uh, Egyptomania going around because – yeah, because people people were really into into ancient Egypt,
1: <laughs> but the Rosetta
0: Stone had not been found and deciphered yet, so people had all these crazy ideas of what hieroglyphics meant, and they projected all this you know sort of ancient wisdom on onto hieroglyphics that might have said something like, oh you know Pharaoh Ramses has. You know, has decided to tax the people, you know, 20 sheaves of wheat or something like that. They would look at something like that and come off with this, you know, really deep esoteric interpretation of it. And so there were all these, these ideas that were floating around that were based on a false history. But these guys didn't know it. You know, they were they were smart people. They were into history, the the best history that was available to them. They were into esoteric ideas, so they started looking at at the tarot, and and finding you know a lot of really deep symbolism in it. And there is a lot of deep symbolism in it, and and, and it, it grew out again as you as you brought up out of Christian iconography, but then. Um, there was a guy named uh, uh, Atea who saw um, a woman reading playing cards, and he got really into the into using playing cards as divination because that was that was getting pretty common in the 1700s. Just regular playing cards, not tarot cards. So he wrote a book on divination and tarot cards, and then he saw a woman reading tarot for the first time, and he was blown away. And he said, oh my God, this is the wisdom of the ages. Like these 22 cards said something to him and blew him away in in such a manner that he kind of dedicated his life to sort of understanding them. And he and uh, another Frenchman called up. Court de Jebelin, who was and these guys are all Freemasons, so they're very they're very into esotericism and occultism and things like that. Um, and de Gébelin was a friend of Ben Franklin, interestingly too, who was also a Freemason. And uh, but Court de Gébelin made this observation that changed everything. He looked at those twenty-two cards, and and he said, "Wait a minute!" and the Hebrew. Kabbalah. There's 22 spheres on the Kabbalistic tree of life. And that was where everything changed. So he wrote that the tarot cards are the embodiment of of Jewish Kabbalistic uh, wisdom and, uh, and esotericism. Now the Jews had nothing to do (laughs) with tarot cards Um, and Kabbalah at that time, which began as a, uh, and is a distinctly Jewish um, esoteric tradition, a a deeply spiritual tradition, had been kind of hijacked by some, some Christians uh, who kind of, yeah, who kind of, of, (laughs)
1: As it does well, happen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> a um, lot. And they, so,
0: so <laughs> this Christianized Kabbalah um, became, and I pronounce it that way only because that I a a rabbi told me that's how it's pronounced, and most people say Kabbalah or something like that. It doesn't really matter. But he pronounced it Kabbalah, so that's yeah, that's how I, I, I do say as it. Well. It sounds silly. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's what the rabbi told me. Uh, so they, so that's when everything changed, and all of a sudden. <laughs> People were looking at this deck, that this game, and these, especially these 22 cards, uh, these really special cards, with all this, you know, wild imagery on them. And at that point, it just it it, it changed completely. And from that point on, tarot was seen as an esoteric teaching tool, as uh, as embodying kabbalistic, um, you know, ideas and things like that, and. <clears throat> And Eliphas Levy, who is uh responsible for more than anyone for the the uh probably the popularization of these ideas that that the tarot is a tool of Western esotericism, he
1: wrote, yeah yeah, yeah. let me ask you something real quick though before we go too much further because um I'm real curious, the original tarot cards th- is this where our common deck of regular playing cards comes from? Because I see yeah. a lot of clubs, hearts, diamonds, things like that. Did that borrow from? Yeah, one, well, tarot or did, did one came come from, from the other uh, or something like that.
0: Tarot came from playing uh, playing cards, uh, like I said, and then it, and all the way back to the Mamluk. Which were like in the 1200s, I think, they had four suits. So, somewhere along the line, four suits became the norm. And back then, the Mamluk cards were um, staves uh, and um, scimitars, they were like curved swords. So, uh, the, the Europeans didn't understand the curved swords. Um, so, so they they changed the iconography. So, and you can actually, and I have a diagram that I use in my classes from a book by Robert Place, who's a tarot historian, scholar, and artist, that shows how those symbols have changed and they've become more abstract throughout time. So, like um, the a club um, in the in the tarot decks are actually like you know like literal club like clubs. There's and. So there's, you know, you see people holding a giant stick, things like that. And there were, yeah, 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 there were, there were. Um, wasn't there polo sticks they, or something they were actually, like that at one time? Yeah, there were, there were sticks that were, used. yeah, well, and. If
1: you're Canadian, that, That's or what they sticks. originated
0: as in the Mamluk deck. <laughs> they were used for playing, for playing uh, like polo, but the Europeans didn't understand that. They didn't understand the curved swords, So they, they just kind of changed things around. So the, the polo sticks became staves uh, the swords were straightened out into you know, like more huh. European style, straight swords, things like that. Cups became hearts. Um, so and and uh, so it's really fascinating to look at how these symbols have mutated over time till they became these really abstract um, sort of symbols that we see now um, on our playing cards. So yes, yeah. So what which, which you see in tarot cards okay. with, with the suits and tarot cards, it, it's just it's they just basically changed and became sort of more abstracted through time. Um, and in some like in some countries that, you know, instead of a spade or something, they'll have an acorn, things like that. Even today, uh, across Europe, some of the some of the images are a little bit different. Uh, but it's interesting to me that the, 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 the suits have there's always been four suits um that seems to to have stuck like all the way back to those mamluk decks in like the 13th century and you know? all uh, yeah
1: so next question is this where solitaire came from i've read that somewhere before as well that it's theorized that solitaire evolved from the idea of how you lay tarot cards out and how you read them and that's yeah that I've, the game of solitaire i've actually from never that. heard of that I, or am i just uh, so uh,
0: yeah, I, I think that might be one of those okay. many myths. Never mind that. that Moving on. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, so yeah. So back to okay. the uh, back to the French okay. Masonic esotericist. I mean, they, Eliphas Levy, who is, you know, really the father of Western occultism, Western esotericism as we know it. He took the tarot, and he said he he tried to. He had a book called Dogma and Ritual, and he basically said, well, wait a minute, let's throw all of this stuff into like, uh, and, and let's, let's make a system out of all of this stuff, out of angels, out of the Kabbalah, ceremonial magic, tarot, um, astrology. And He created this really complex system. And he so he he was the first to take those the, t- the 22 tarot cards and kind of say, well, this one's associated with, uh, you know, this astrological sign or something like that. So he started this. Um, and then from there, uh, is just as they are want to do, you know, they started building their own systems and taking his ideas and, and and building and building on that until uh, where the next really big jump in the occult tarot is with the hermetic order of the golden dawn um, yeah 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 which which is a oh, um, no. yeah, which is a, <laughs> in a, in a, a really influential it,
1: it's mace, it's what yeah, happens when yeah. mace skips to magic <laughs> No, it's not a bad thing. I was involved in magic way before I became a mason. Thank you very much. No, don't I? Well, there's nothing wrong (laughs) with that. You don't have to defend yourself.
0: (laughs) I mean, I was I was into magic and then I became a (laughs) mason too. So hey, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I mean the the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. They were uh, they were a 19th century um, sort of turn of the century uh, um, magical order. And they were interesting for a lot of reasons. One, that they admitted women. Um, they 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 came the, the founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, we'll just call it the Golden Dawn for the sake of not using so many words. Um were were, were British uh, Masons, were British Freemasons who were um, who, who were Rosicrucian Freemasons. So they basically were Christian esoteric uh, Masons. And
1: allegedly Oh yeah, yeah, we need to do a whole show with you just yeah. on oh, yeah That's on the, Golden Dawn the, and Rosicrucian itself. It is
0: a truly fascinating subject unto its own right, but we'll 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 do the very brief version <laughs> for, for the sake of for the sake of our the yes. subject of our conversation. <laughs> but but they're really important to know about. So they they these these four. Um, esoteric Rosicrucian Freemasons uh, allegedly found a document I I think it was written by by one of them but they allegedly found this document that laid out the rituals for this um, this this magical fraternity and they proceeded to go about building it and they had some really uh, major thinkers and artists of of the time including William Butler Yeats The great poet, and um, I mean, just really the cream of the crop. Lots of artists, lots of theater um, people from the time, and things like that. Um, Scientists. It was really, it was really high class Victorian uh, membership in this in this occult organization, and at the basis of it was the tarot. The tarot kind of wove through. All of the rituals that they did, all the teachings that they did, it was one of the first things um, that that did. You learned was was how to use the tarot, and they mapped it all of the cards onto the tree of life, and all these complicated ways and things like that. And that really changed um, everything. Um, they took they took all that stuff that Eliphas Levy had come up with, and like ex expanded even upon his complex magical metaphysical system and made something that people are still um, people are still doing golden dawn magic today there's golden dawn orders all over the world Um, i practiced it for a while uh, and ironically what made me kind of stop (laughs) practicing it was when i started studying the history of tarot because i i you know, I started realizing. Wait a minute! This whole system is built on the idea that the tarot is this ancient, you know, ancient form of magic and this ancient wisdom, and it's not. You know, it's it's a game. It was a game that was developed in in the 15th century. So why am I practicing this this complex system of magic that has at its root stuff that's not true, stuff that we know historically now is not true. Um, and I'll, just to step back to the, the, the cards that the, the golden dawn were using were called the, the tarot de Marseille because Marseille, France um, really big be, uh, printing became huge in Marseille block printing. And so, so you could print these huge sheets of cards on, on giant wood blocks through, and you put various layers of inks down and, you know, just kind of like – it was early printing um, done on on these giant wooden block printing presses. So for the first time, people could mass produce cards. So tarot cards exploded in popularity. So the decks um, that the Golden Darm were using were these French Marseille decks. And I happen to collect them. They're, they're my favorite deck. They're the decks that I actually use for reading for people too. Um and then so.
1: Oh, you don't you don't have the uh, the uh, oh god. What are some of the most? I, the, really I mean, there's the gummy there, tarot no. There's uh, like,
0: you oh know, the taro of kitty cats. Oh yeah, there's uh, you the know anything one, I saw that someone could one. slap yeah. a brand on or or an idea or a, you know the.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this: <laughs> Is it just me, or is it like? we're going to make a tarot deck and we're going to throw every form of esoteric symbol and and symmetry that we can on these decks and convolute the living shit out of them and none of this means anything and it's we're we, we're going to make them unnecessarily spooky sure. for, oh, for yeah yeah for, yeah for no, selling that's, value. Is that's that, is that, that just has... me or <laughs> pentagrams we need <laughs> right, more right, pentagrams right. let's make it like Motley you crew know album that cover. that
0: all <laughs> that's a great point because that goes back to the golden dawn um, they the golden dawn st- uh, uh, McGregor Mathers, who was the kind of the guru and went kind of insane at the end, as a lot of gurus are, are uh, often do. Um, he designed, um, he and you know, William Butler Yates actually had there's some cards in uh, a museum in Dublin that Yates, uh, you know, was kind of sketching out in the sketchbooks and things like that. So the Golden Dawn decided, well. We're going to take, you know, we're going to take all of our teachings and incorporate that into our own style of tarot deck. Um, so they, there are lots of you know, of sort of drawings of it, but there aren't any actual Golden Dawn cards like back from the, from that time. But the next thing that happened uh, was in 1909, and that was the publication of what's known as the Rider weight deck, and that's that's the one that's became the most common, and you still see it everywhere and most modern decks are kind of a riff on the uh the rider weight deck and that's the one people are familiar with because you know they've seen the led zeppelin album has the hermit yeah uh, you know, and things like that um or the magician and the fool the iconography is just so prevalent in, in society that when people think of tarot they think of that imagery or the death card you know, things like that or strength and you know when you, people who know tarot when you say the name of the cards, they, they can see it. And <clears throat> so that, the, that deck was um, that deck was designed uh, by Arthur Edward Waite, who had been a member of the Golden Dawn. And Pamela Coleman Smith was the artist, and she had also been a member of the Golden Dawn. So a lot of the Golden Dawn's esoteric teachings kind of became incorporated into the Rider Waite deck. And that's why we have the High Priest, uh, instead of the the Pope or the Hierophant and things like that. And or, uh, the high priestess instead of the papess. um So the Christian, it was sort of de-Christianized in a lot of ways. So there, there's still some Christian elements in it. Absolutely. Even the, in the Rider Waite, but there's more of like a fantasy magical element added to it. Uh, the magician isn't just the, like the the traveling magician that he is in the, uh, in the Marseille tarot, he becomes like an esoteric magician and he has a, a, you know, a pentacle with a pentagram on it on his table. He has, so he's not a magician doing tricks anymore. He's a magician doing sort of a loftier style of ceremonial magic. And the other thing that that deck changed Is the minor cards instead of the two of swords just being two swords, it's now a woman sitting with two cross swords. So they took these, the cards that were like our playing cards are just kind of, you know, abstract patterns: three swords, four staves, um, five cups, things like that. And then he made scenes out of them with people in them, so that the whole deck became a tool for divination rather th- you know rather than just a, th- those 22 cards and so now instead of having 22 cards with which to you know either use as some sort of you know insight generation tool for yourself or to tell fortunes for people now you've got 78 cards that you can work with and so so that, that changed everything too. And that deck became extremely popular. It's still the most popular deck in the world. It's the it's again, it's the deck that most people read with. It's the deck that people think of when they hear of Tarot. And it spawned all these other decks, like the deck of the kitty cats or whatever. It has kitty cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it, <laughs> the deck, you know, it will kitty have kitty cats, <laughs> but they'll but, but they'll be they'll be kitty cats doing the things that the people in the rider weight deck are doing, or you know the deck of the gummy bears, or you know, and but it but all of these decks. Model themselves, or most of them, the vast majority of them, model themselves on the rider weight deck, which a lot of people now call the Smith-Waite or the or the um, Waite-Smith, you know, things like that, because they they try to honor Pamela Coleman Smith, who really is the genius behind the cards. I mean, Waite kind of told her the elements that he wanted wanted her to paint into the cards, but 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 her style of painting was so you know just so unique and, and compelling that that imagery still works for, for us today. And then, so the other esoteric deck that, that really changed the, the ball game was Alistair Crowley's uh, Thoth deck or, or, or Toth, or some people like to call it, I, I say Thoth. Um, and what that deck it brings a whole other sort of magical philosophy to it, and that's uh, Crowley's uh, religion of Thelema. And you you can't really you you can use the deck. Um, and I know people that use the deck that don't know anything about Thelema or C- Crowley's philosophy and his religion and and his magical practice. But in order to get the most out of it, you really need to understand Thelema because the the cards are are deeply you know, they 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 grew organically out of uh, out of Crowley's uh, magical system and his religious system, um, but that's probably the second most uh, common commonly used uh, of the of the of tarot decks, most popular. It's been reprinted, you know, hundreds of times since 1944, when the first edition of of the cards were printed. So you know, we have uh, so it's funny because everyone thinks there's so many people think because it's been you could even read books about the tarot in the 70s and all that would say that it was you know that it came directly from ancient egypt and they're just cuz they were just repeating uh these myths that were developed by those french freemasons in the in the 18th century um so there's still a lot of mythology about the cards out there that That's why I teach the history. That's why I think it's important to understand the history so you're not going around spouting off nonsense that other people then go around spouting off. Now, interestingly, aside from all that, there are instances in the historical record of people using the cards for divination. Um, Going back to the 18th century, and even earlier, there's, um, there's an instance from Venice... Uh, in 1589 of a woman named Isabella Bellocchio. She wanted her lover to come back. So she burned these lamps to the devil. She knelt down, she undid her hair and let it hang by her side. She took the devil tarot card and she put it up there. She was told by someone else that, to do this. Um, so apparently there was there was folklore about using the devil card. And one can understand why. I mean, you know, people have always the the deck is full of these like really powerful. Even the older decks, you know, uh, even more so than some of the newer decks that are purposely filled with you know pentagrams and occulty sort of stuff. I mean, some of the old Devil cards are, are just really powerful imagery. So you could see why people might mm. utilize <clears throat> imagery them for for magical purposes. Um, so you know.
1: Well, it's very easy to see how the church could come along and say, this is of the devil, Everything's this because you have swords, you have, well, exactly, but you have, like, the right. hanged man, you have the, right. the devil right. card, you know, there's all these things in there where if you're from the outside and you don't know, and you believe what you're told, and you right. follow the flock, well, yes, I can see that, what he's saying right there, that makes yeah. perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah, it's so, interesting.
1: You know, I, yeah. it makes well, total that, sense. I,
0: it's Good that you brought up the hangman because that's, that's another of these kind of enigmatic cards in modern decks that people have all these you know, interpretations of, of what it means for them and what it means in a reading. But in the early decks, it was – anyone looking at that would obviously know what it was. and It was a traitor because traitors were hanged by one foot. So that was the card of the traitor. Now you look at like you could look at the rider weight deck and it's this it's this individual hanging from one foot and he's got his other foot kind of in an angle behind him and he's got this glowing nimbus of of light around his head. So it, you know the hanged man card now has all these esoteric sort of connotations when back then it was just a a, a dirty traitor, you know, who, who had been hanged by his foot. Uh, Because because that's that's how they were hanged. So it's really fascinating to watch how, you know, something like that has evolved over time to be something so different now what it is.
1: So how many cards have been added from the original deck of the tarot cards. How many? Like the the hanging no, man no, wasn't part, he, he of, the was, was part one. of the original one. Original, yeah. Uh, the it, lovers it's, wasn't it's part of the original. It's maintained
0: seventy eight cards ever since the fifteenth century. So th- those twenty two cards okay. have, for the most part, remained the same since the the the, the earliest decks that we know of. Um, so a lot of that iconography, with some occasional exceptions, like uh, like for the, the emperor in one of the older decks is switched out with Jupiter. You know, so there occasionally there are some changes, it, uh, but it's remained remarkably similar. The, icono- the the general iconography, although again, you know, the 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 papas became the high priestess, you know, and things like that, and the pope became the hierophant, and, and so so there have been changes in the names but the general iconography is has remained fairly similar through all that time
1: so do you see the deck evolving more now or is it just the imagery itself it's evolving have new cards been uh added recently? not really no
0: people still maintain that 78 card structure what changes are just hmm. the the way the the cards are stylized and the you know the wiccan deck will have wiccan symbols the alchemical deck will have alchemical symbols, um, but they, you know, for the most part, the um, the 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 22 card, the trump cards, or what became known as the major arcana, have stayed fairly similar. You know, the moon is usually the moon, the sun is usually the sun, the the world is usually the world, and someone like Crowley will take those cards and put his own spin on them, but they're generally generally the same template. Um, and, and because of the wild popularity of the Rider, uh, weight or the Wade Smith deck, even the the minor cards that used to be, like I said, just like two swords or three cups or you know or something like that, um, they're all scenic now. They all have pictures of people and scenes on them because that's what the Waite Smith deck did. So that's what everyone thinks is kind of the,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the deck, the the main deck. Um, the main templates that people work from that. Although if you go to Europe, uh, people still read with those 22 uh, major cards. And that's how I read. It it, it was like a, a really interesting jump for me to go from using decks that had 78 cards full of people doing things, which makes it a lot easier for for people who are starting to read with. Now I only read with the the Marseille decks from the from the seventeenth um, century, and I only use I only I mean not reproduction.
1: <laughs> that sounds so hipsterish, though. I only read from the Marseille right. decks. No, no, Perhaps you've no, never I heard mean, of them. Sure, I'm sorry. You can,
0: you can certainly, you know, I mean I could see where someone could see it that way, but um, no, 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 no. But but to me, those are the anyways. most powerful. Uh, kind of paradoxically because there's not all this esoteric stuff on them they're they're simpler they're all, they're cartoonish almost because they were used you know they were engravings printed on from wood blocks so you you couldn't make all this fancy stuff you had to make them fairly simple and for me the simpler the cards and just using those 22 paradoxically it opens up a whole new, um, you know uh, all sorts of new insights when I'm actually doing readings, either either for myself or other people. So, and I should I should acknowledge who kind of put me onto that, uh, and that's uh, uh, the the filmmaker cult filmmaker Alejandro Hodorowsky, who who's famous whose movies Holy Mountain and Santo Sangre and all these like crazy cult. To just psychedelic wild movies from the uh the, the 70s and 80s he's still around he wrote a book called the way of tarot and it's all about the, the marseille deck and his story is that he was he, he you know he was a filmmaker so he traveled a lot and everywhere he'd go he'd collect tarot decks he had thousands of tarot decks and he met um, André Breton, the famous surrealist painter. And he was, was kind of like a fanboy of this, you know, this, this famous artist. So he, he showed him the, the uh, Waitsmith tarot deck. And he's like, look at this. Isn't this amazing? And Breton said, he's like, this is crap. He said that there's, it's so obvious. Like all the symbolism is so obvious. And he said the only valid tarot is the Marseille tarot. He said those cards are intriguing and deeply moving, but they never divulge their secrets. So Hodorowsky went home, threw away all of his thousands of tarot decks, and he started using that Marseille deck. And I wrote a book about it called The Way of Tarot, which I recommend anyone is interested in, in in using the Marseille deck. Um, it's it's a really amazing book and it totally changed my head around, um, to the point where I only use like sort of the reproductions of these older decks now, not because I'm a hipster. <laughs> um, and I know it does sound hipsterish, like, Oh, I only use <laughs> you know, curated basic, uh, decks in my practice, but, but just because I find them, uh, so much more rewarding and my, my readings are better. Uh, I find that my, my readings are more insightful and I get a lot more out of them then when I use these decks that have oh there's a guy with a stick and other people are swinging sticks at him well in a reading that means that oh you're you know people are people are bothering you and wearing you down and you're feeling defensive whereas you know when the moon card comes up it's got all this it's just the moon and it's got these these little, this crayfish coming up out of the water and two dogs howling and and the iconography is just so much simpler, but yet you can pull so much more out of it. Or at least I can, and a lot of people that I've spoken to who, who use these older decks find that that's the case. So, um.
1: So the next logical step we have to go to, if this was in fact a game that started out as a game, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, then was convoluted over time. All of the stuff about fake Egyptology was thrown into mm-hmm. it. Um, everybody got their hands on it and did their thing to it. Um, Crowley, there there was a guy ahead of his time for marketing purposes. But um, if, if all this is what it is then how does it work? How, how, you know, how does, how does tarot actually end yeah. up being a divination tool and how does it work? For right. I wouldn't say it's garbage, you know, it's all history. Based on garbage. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but, but no, I know what you're saying. You know, the, that the, way, you, know, you know, the 18th century and 19th century occultists made up about it as garbage. That, that is true. It's incorrect. Um, so, so Correct, yeah, yeah, but, but, Somehow it works. How does it work? Well, I like to think that um, divination is kind of uh, the way divination works and why tarot works is when you take s- symbols, you take symbols and you randomize them. And especially when they're symbols that are really charged with a lot of meaning for people, um, you know, symbols that might be, you know, very fundamental or archetypal to our being, like, Or or things like the moon and the sun and the stars and things like that, and when you take these symbols and you you get a whole bunch of them together and you mix them all up and you select some out of that randomness, and at the same time, if you're if you're looking for meaning, that's the key. So the cards themselves, you know, all these there are all these. I'm in a lot of tarot groups and things like that. And I talk to a lot of people about tarot and there's always things like, no, you have to, you know, smudge your cards if they belong to somebody else, or you know, sit. You sit there. No, no, seriously. Huh? Yeah, no, and and don't. Okay. Let, don't let other people. Well, I like, I guess yeah, I can d- see what don't let other people from. touch your cards. They'll get their energy on them and stuff like this. I understand that, and I respect people that believe that. But to me, these they're just pieces of paper with ink on them. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the cards themselves aren't magical in any way. What's magical is when you bring your consciousness to it. And when you take random symbols, random symbols that that have, that are charged symbols, that are powerful symbols in their own right, um, or archetypal symbols, and you bring your consciousness to them, and you ask questions, and you pull these symbols out of this chaotic mix of them, things happen. Um, you know, th- that's the way like runes work, or people throwing bones or, or sticks, or, uh, or or the yi, the Ching, and leaves. things like that. All of these divination systems, yeah. are, or you know, watching birds fly, different augury systems from the ancient world. It was all about looking at randomness or selecting from randomness and seeing what kind of patterns our consciousness brings to those patterns. And if you if you believe there's something called synchronicity, um, which I've certainly experienced all of my life, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure you guys
1: <laughs> <haven't>. <laughs> oh, no, you have, not divination no idea. <laughs> is is a way of
0: manifesting synchronicity. So I think it is important to when you when you read tarot or when you when you throw the I Ching. Or you do any other sort of system that you you really try to you know get your get in the right frame of consciousness, uh, very sort of relaxed and open to what you're seeing and not judgmental, and that you you know, we're, we're pattern seeking creatures. That's what we do. We look for patterns and things. So when you've got this beautiful system of 78 cards or 22 cards, if you only use the majors and you've randomized them and you ask questions or you, you know, you think about something and you draw some cards, synchronicity is going to happen. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's more powerful than other times. Uh, but I think the more that you do, you do it, the, the better you get at it. Um, I feel like I'm certainly a better reader now than I was you know, 30, 40 years ago when I started you know, reading cards for myself and other people. And so that's why it works. And I, I know a, 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 another reader um, who, who has said, and I think it's absolutely true, you can write the numbers 1 to 22 on some sugar packets – he had to do that once. Someone wanted a reading, and he forgot his cards. So he pulled out twenty-two sugar packets on the table, numbered them from one to twenty-two, turned them over, mixed them up, and he pulled the cards out and say, "Okay, well, okay, here's the here's the magician card," you know, and he did a reading with sugar packets because it's not the cards themselves that are magical. It's just, it's, it's a series of symbols that we can work with. And when we work with these symbols and we work with our consciousness and our imaginative facilities, really interesting stuff can happen. And I, I t- you know, people always ask me, well, how does it work? And and how does, you know, because I'll do a reading and it, it will just be like uh, blow below someone's mind. Someone that I don't know will sit down and, And without – a lot of times, you know, like I will ask people, do you have a question or something? And a lot of times they'll say no. So I'm just basically sitting down with someone I've never met before who are paying me to do a reading for them. And I put down some cards and usually three cards, sometimes a few more. I don't do the big, you know, Celtic cross loud and things like that. I like to just put a few cards down and see what comes up. And they'll – you know, I'll say some things and they'll go, Oh my God, that's exactly what I'm dealing with, blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, Well, how how does that work? How how and I don't know, you know, I really don't know. It's still a magical experience for me when it happens. How these images and I only use twenty two, so these same twenty-two cards, just in a different order of three of them on the table, can 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 you know, really help people, can can give them an insight into what's going on in their lives, can help them, you know, kind of navigate the, the situation that they're going through. And s- the same when you read for yourself. Some people say you can't read for yourself. That's bullshit. Like, you have to read for yourself. That's how you figure out, you know, how t- to really – you know, understand what you're getting out of the cards instead of what you want out of the card, your wishful thinking. You know, there's always our overlay of when you're reading for yourself. So it's a good way to get past that. So you're more neutral to, you know, to the patterns that emerge and, and the stories that come out of the cards. So I tell people, read for yourself all the time. You know, these are, these are, that's how you learn you have to read for other people too that's how you you, you really understand um the process of, of doing a reading for someone obviously you have to have someone that you're reading for and that's magic in itself and i think that's why tarot is becoming so big right now it's and when i first started doing my workshops i'd get like about 30 people um a few years later I was doing these the my Terra boot camp. they had to move me to the largest classroom at Johns Hopkins University because <clears throat> it was selling out. There were so many people on the waiting list. they had to keep bumping up the room. And I think wow. there's a couple reasons. One reason is because people are uh, looking – people are more interested in magic and divination and things like that as we've seen, like it's mentioned earlier with the explosion of witchcraft and alternative forms of spirituality and magic. But also because when you read cards for somebody, you're sitting down and you're having a conversation with a human being right you're not yep. sitting there with your with your freaking phone um you you're not sitting in front of a screen you're engaging with another person you're talking about yourself you're talking about them you're telling stories about yourself it's just like a it's a human connection and i think so many of us get so little of that or so so much less of that than we used to that that sitting down with another person and opening up and talking about your life and what's going on in your life over these sets of these really powerful sets of images. It's, you know, it's appealing. It's appealing to people because if it fixes something or it fills something that, that that's missing in a lot of us today. It's true.
1: It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show about how all of this stuff is starting to make a turnaround mm-hmm. is starting to come back again. Because you can find tarot tarot cards and stuff all over the place now, and it seems like you said earlier that, you know, millennials and younger people are making a conscious Mm -hmm. effort to, not all of them, but there does seem to be an uprising in this knowledge or, you know, this this idea that, Mm -hmm. you know, re-embracing of magic, you know… um, like myself, I, am not a practitioner of magic. I've said this before. I don't, I'm not a believer in magic, nor, nor do I have a problem against people who use it or believe in it, but I do have a nice collection of books and I like to study this stuff. I like to learn the history about it. It's kind of my thing. And, um, you know, quite a lot of people I have met, you know, some of my daughter's friends, we had a guy here once, um, and he was talking about, uh, magic and stuff. I'm like, well, if you knew magic, mm-hmm. what would you do with it? And, you know, there's two and one was like, Oh, well, I would probably try to walk mm-hmm. and get walk wrong answer. Stuff. And the other guy's, well, I'd probably, yeah. And the guy was like, well, you know, I'd probably try to cure cancer or something. And I'm like, that, sir, is the magical answer (laughs) right there. And I'm like, I've got books in the house. Do you want (laughs) some books on magic? And then um, just recently, I gave another friend of mine a book on hoodoo magic and stuff. It was Mm -hmm. like, here, read this. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll do something for you. Maybe you'll get something out of it. Maybe it'll help you out in your life in some way with the problems Mm -hmm. that you're going through right now. I don't know if that person's done anything with it yet, but um, yeah, Uh, well,
0: (laughs) you know, at its basic, if you practice magic um the way i look at it is the practice doing rituals in particular and i think that might actually be my next book is is about is secular magic magic that doesn't require you to believe in anything necessarily, um, you know, spirits or Jesus or demons or, you know, any of that stuff. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're ritualistic creatures. You know, we, we have rituals to mark different phases of our lives and, and things like that. I think incorporating ritual into our lives in a more purposeful sense, um, really it c- can help us become better people uh more well adjusted people more focused on the things that we want to do so i think there's a there's a real um there's a real need for 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 ritual in our lives and and magic magical practices are one way to incorporate that um i i think it's critical i think it's 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 and it's it's a way it's a it's a way to You know, sort of re-empower ourselves in an era when we feel like, you know, a lot of us feel like we're we're completely disempowered by the things that are going on around us, and it just feels good, you know, if nothing else. Lighting a candle and you know, doing a prayer or or just saying something that commits us to to something that we want to happen or or someone that we want to 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 heal. it 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 makes us feel better. And that's important. you know I mean, even if that's all it did. And that's what you know that this the whole like you know, Trump binding ritual that that led to the led to my book, um, really made me think about that because when I designed that ritual, it wasn't just to, you know, bind the president from doing bad things. That, of course, was its main goal. But it was also to help people like exercise that, 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 that just grotesque feeling that, that, that they were powerless and that, and that, you know, this, this president and the people around him were doing out of control things that were, that were affecting these people mentally, physically, emotionally, um, just wearing them down. And that's, that's what a lot of people said, you know, when they, when they do that ritual, they feel better. They feel more empowered. They feel more inspired to go out and do things and be active and advocate for the things that they care about and that they believe in. And that's if that's all that ritual does, that's still a beautiful, useful thing. So I'm all about Mm -hmm. incorporating. And most people that I know that have started doing some form of magical practice – you know, with good intentions, not oh, I'm going to get laid and rich. You know, um, <laughs> that, that's you know that that's like the lowest. Get level. a better job and find a hooker. There you go. Right. You know. I mean, hey, if 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 that's what you want to do, then go ahead and use magic for it too. But for me, magic has a higher purpose in life, and that's to kind of expand my consciousness uh hopefully become a better person a more you know a more compassionate a more um open minded uh person and the way i look at uh people the, the magicians i think that are the most successful at using magic in their lives they're not they're not a lot of these Guys that are out there saying like, I'll you know, I'll teach you how to become a human, you know, how to become a, above human. You will become a god. Uh, you know, these these people <laughs> tend to be if, if, you, if you look at their if you look at their lives, oh. they're pretty miserable people. The people I see that do ma- that are, you know, quote, magicians tend to be people making great art, um, tend Helping to be others helping other people tend to be out there like trying to like carry other people along to to become better people, to become better people to become better healers things like that so that's what I tell people if they want to get into magic and there's someone who who you who you think might be a teacher for magic look at how look at their life okay look at what they're doing. Are they sleaze bags? Do they have lots of enemies? Are they you know living in their parents' basement? um you know (laughs) if if so do you really want them do you really think they know anything about
1: magic (laughs) i laugh because i i know people that are like they might they might
0: think they're fabulous sorcerers you know but i mean come on man uh you know you you just have broken relationships all around you and you come across as an arrogant asshole no you know what i think uh
1: what's with all the daggers, dude?
0: Oh yeah. It's ritualistic, right? There's always posers and there's always (laughs) hucksters and charlatans and there's much more so in, in magic and, and and esoteric circles because frankly, there are a lot, it's a lot easier to fleece people who believe in that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, um,
1: well, yeah, this is how cults get formed.
0: Well, exactly, yeah, and we've seen it all the time. So I tell people, you know, if you want to get into magic and you want to find someone to teach you magic, um, look for somebody
1: who actually looks like their life is going pretty well.
0: Because um, that's a pretty good sign that what they're doing is working. Uh
1: well, it's like nobody wants to get sex advice from a virgin either. So you know. right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so you know, yeah, I think I think it's it's great. I, I I totally respect people like yourself that just want to read about it and find it fascinating. There's, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to sit and criticize yeah. people on it and stuff. There, there, you know, it, there's parallels in all of this stuff. Like because of me studying this stuff and reading this stuff, I began to see parallels in religion and where religion took this from that, or you know, sure. these things how they evolved and. Chaos magic is interesting to me. Um, Some of like the Enochian stuff, I really, I'm just like, all right, this is, this gets boring after a while. I'm not really interested. I find myself gravitating more toward Hoodoo and Conjure. Um, Even some of the old Christian magics I find very interesting because they're now like the concept of Christian magic. When magic now is so demonized by the Christian community, right? It, you know those those things blow me away to read about them and study them. And then when you read about voodoo and Santeria and stuff, you see a lot of one culture borrowing from another, and that stuff I find really interesting and fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Me so too. <laughs> you know it's you know it's, it's stuff like that that's, that's that's where I'm really curious about. Yeah, I, I got a book this last week about some woman who. Uh, I get books sent to me all the time, as you probably do. Mm-hmm. I got a book sent to me about a, a cat magic. It was um. I don't know where the hell it came from. It was something like uh, how to cast spells with your cats and uh-huh. stuff. And at first, I thought it was pretty funny, and I was like, "Well, actually, it's, you know, I, I guess I could see where this person's coming from." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I for for me, I mean, my my magic. Uh, it seems like we followed a pretty similar course. Um, I was real into, ser- you know, first I dabbled in Wicca. Uh, when I first started thinking about practicing magic because I've always been drawn to like occultism and stuff like that just from a it's just you know I'm a kid of the 70s and I grew up with in search of and uh, oh, yeah. you know and, yeah, and all that stuff and yeah. uh, I mean the whole decade was just like steeped in in occultism and the supernatural so yeah. and it's always just felt right for me I've yeah, always that loved the satanic
1: it. panic. Right right <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but and then I got you know real heavily into the golden dawn magic and all that and then I you know I I explained my my uh my eureka moment with the golden dawn magic when I started studying tarot I talked about that and it, so at that point I sort of did a deep dive I, I'm I'm just I told myself I'm just going to go back and start at the very beginning so start with like Greek and Egyptian magic and worked my way up to the present and really tried to understand like, what are the techniques that run through all of this? Like, what is the, if you had to grind up every magical practice and, and like sort of filter it down to, to some basic principles, what would they be? So that's what I did. And that, that too made me Made me realize that like folk magic traditions that are much simpler, I think are much more, uh, much more useful, uh, much more powerful than these, these really complex ceremonial magic where you have to make this, you know, this little, uh, you know, this. This sort of uh, what do you call it? No, I'm losing my my
1: words, unfortunately. Spooky circle. Yeah, no, A sigil. Make, making these little X. yeah sigils. Yeah, yeah,
0: making like sigils of Mars on the on these discs, of made of particular metals, and you have to do it at the at the proper planetary hour, and and all this stuff. I, I mean, that's great if you do it and it works for you. And I had some really extraordinary experiences when I was doing ceremonial magic, but but when I when I tried to sort of get back to the roots or to the basis of magical practices, that's when things really started clicking for me and making sense. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean I, – because basically magic is consciousness and ritual. It's directing mm-hmm. your con- – changing your consciousness and directing it through ritualistic – Uh, actions with some physical stuff usually you know whether you use a wand or some kind of rock or crystal or candles things like that and so I think the best magic is really the simplest when it's aligned with your most concentrated consciousness so you don't need all that all that you know gee and and knickknacks all the ceremonial stuff Uh, that can cost you a ton of money or, you know, like I spend hours making all my, you know, golden dawn implements and things like that. And now I just use like a a single candle and, you know, a feather and like a dish of salt for earth and a cup of water and it just really simplify things down. Um, And tarot cards, again, you know, just kind of bring it all back. Like tarot cards are really powerful, iconic imagery, and they lend themselves very well to, to meditations and visualizations and also to practical magic as well.
1: Well, we've, we've had you on here for over an hour now, um, which is rare for us, but that's okay. Um, I am going to give you a chance not to plug your book, though. Where can people find your book? Do you have other books that are out there like that? Where can people find your stuff? Yeah,
0: people could go to michaelmhughes.com and see uh, my novels. I have a series of novels called the Blackwater Lights Trilogy. If you like supernatural horror, that sort of Woo-hoo. thing. They're, they're only available as ebooks, uh, because they're, they're uh, part of Random House's Hydra imprint which is a digital imprint uh, so you'll have to read them on your phone or Kindle or iPad or something like that but uh, they're, they're fun if you like supernatural horror thrillers and they have a lot of magic in them too and there's even a tarot scene in the first book hard to believe um, but my newest book is Magic for the Resistance, Rituals and Spells for Changed Change it's published by Llewellyn so you can find it in most uh, you know esoteric occult witchy bookstores around um the big box stores often carry it as well um if they don't just ask for it you can also get it through the Amazon uh, and BNN and uh, other A-books and places like that um, online as well. And that book is, you know, it is political. um, But even if you're not into the politics of it, it's a good introduction to my thinking on magic. Yeah, you do have spells
1: in here and grounding rituals. and There there is things in here that are not political. So if you're just getting into magic and you want to – you know, dip, dip your toe into it or wherever. And if you are an anti-Trumpian or whatever, there's a little bit of everything in this book for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's in, in the, the history, like I talked about earlier is, was really fascinating to me. Like, like looking into how magic has been used politically uh, and against, you know, um, governments and oppressive regimes and people and things like that. So that was really, that, that part's really fun. But yeah, if, 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 even if you're not, uh, you know, super politically motivated, or, you know, it's still what I tried to do was make it a really good 101 intro book on secular magic. And that's magic you can do if you're a Christian, if you're Jewish. Uh, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Taoist, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, it's still the kind of rituals you can do that. I think, um, you know, I find brings enormous benefit to my life. I think it can really help people. So, so that's how I wrote it. I was, uh, but before the whole Trump spell blew up, I was actually writing a book on a basic book on secular magic. And, uh, so, but you know, this, the spell thing blew up and came in and so it led to the – what I still think is really fascinating, that use of the political magic. But it's still a very good resource. And it's I think it's also helpful for people who have been longtime magic practitioners too. Maybe just to look at a different viewpoint and and see magic through, through a different sort of lens. So um, yeah, it's uh, – and it's a fun read, and if you're into that sort of thing, please go get a copy. Uh, make me happy and allow me to write more books in the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Thanks for coming on and doing this, man. It's It's been a blast talking to you. Yeah, you're always somebody fun great. to talk to. You're always full of knowledge, and you're always willing to teach, and you're an easy guest to have on the show. I can just sit back and sip my beer and, and let you go on autopilot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mike. Yeah, appreciate it, and, and I love your show. It's, uh, you know, you're you're insightful, and I, I, you know, it's always one of the better uh, shows I enjoy being on. So please. Please invite me back sometime. I'm happy to come back. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. No question on that one. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So, Michael M. Hughes. um, That guy is so easy to interview. It's like... Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard because I was like, I was trying to ask him questions, but I didn't want to cut him off though. I had to a couple of times just to get some stuff out there. So, um, it sounds like we're going to be having him say boo. What's that? (laughs) I didn't say boo. Well, you didn't, I was, I was was asking you. Yeah. I was like, okay, well I could, in that episode, I could totally see why you didn't really have anything to say because me and you were both enthralled with what he was saying. So that's why I I had
0: nothing to add. I've, I've fiddled with tarot most of my uh history in esoteric work but i mean you got you had we had a guy on that is like he knows his the shit there was yeah. no reason for me to say a word
1: i myself don't have a tarot deck yet i i bought one for uh allison thurman who's been on the show a couple of times she's a good friend of ours um and uh, a little while ago i i like aaron david from over at charm the water was selling a few he had a few decks and stuff he was getting rid of so i was like wait a minute you know i'm her being a friend of ours and she was on at the time that the auction was going on I'm like I'm gonna mm-hmm. hook this girl up because she's so cool to us and uh, I think I, I either I think I got her one I have it sent over to her I'm thinking about picking up the alchemical one just because you know how I am with alchemical stuff it'd be cool yep. just to have laying around or whatever just to be able to say yeah here's my tarot deck or what have you um, but I did see the Rick and Morty one last week and that was <laughs> absurd She's <Just> so <laughs> stupid I just can't <laughs> there's Hello Kitty ones there's all well, kinds well, of them but um It sounds like we're going to try to get him on here sooner than later to, uh, there was a few things that we touched on in the show and afterwards I was like, Hey, can, can we go back and retouch on these topics? And he was, he was very open to do it. It's just a matter of scheduling and stuff. So hopefully we can make that work. So, um, moving on. Um, I have, I have, it's story time. I, I finally went out and had my, uh, my tattoo cherry popped this week. I, uh, I got, a. yeah, I got my first tattoo. Um, I got one on my... of
0: us. One <laughs> of us. There, there's
1: there's funny things to this and that. Well, I have a friend that really wanted me. You and another you and another friend. Um, and I who knew they are. I was like, I really want to get this tattoo. I've been wanting to get a tattoo for a long time. And, and you guys were both like, do it, do it, do it. So, And then uh, when I was down in Daytona, um, Aaron was down there with us hanging out. and We went to a uh, tattoo parlor, and the guy was like, well, this is what you want. And uh, it was like, it's going to be like 80 bucks or something. And she so badly wanted me to get it. She was like, I'll pay for half of it for you. And I'm like, nah. At the time, I was kind of having a panic attack because of the crowds and stuff. I'm like, "This, I don't want to do this here. So I came back home, found a local guy. And uh, the company was called All-Star Tattoos. And I went into this place. I went into all these different tattoo shops. So I'm like, here's the tattoo I want. And what it was, it was my kids' names in Germanic uh, Viking runes. Um, and it was real simple. It's, I, I don't want to get crazy. I just wanted my kids' names on me. But I wanted it because of how we are. I was like, I want to kind of look a little spooky, a little bit mystical or whatever. And plus, it's something that, you know, unless you know what it is, it's going to have meaning to me. If somebody asks, i will say, yeah, that's one. Per- that's one's name. That's the other's name. So I got the tattoo done. My oldest daughter went with me for support. Plus, she's thinking of getting one done herself. She's thinking of a couple of different ones that she wanted to get. And she was like, I think she was going just to check out how the process was. So I went into this place. All the different tattoo parlors I went to were all like, you know, Harleys and boobs hanging out and tattoos. And this wasn't my thing, you know. So I found this one shop I went into and it was like walking into a coffee store or a coffee shop with an art gallery in it. And they were playing some really cool, like smooth techno, acid jazz, ambient kind of stuff. And um, again, I don't really identify with my generation real well. I get along great with millennials and people that are slightly younger than me. So I'm like, this is pretty cool. And the guy comes out and I'm like, this is what I want to do. He's like, well, you've already got the image. You know exactly what you want. You know where you want it on your body. This is going to be a piece of cake. I'll charge you 60 bucks for it. Okay, cool. You know, so, um, went back and the guy's name was goob and everybody at the shop was really, really cool and really funny. And, you know, we were just sitting around laughing with everybody because I had to wait for a little bit to get my tattoo. And so I go in and and I get it done. And I send you a picture of a sign saying tattoo, you know, and you were like, no, you ain't doing this. You know, (laughs) you were like, picture, it didn't happen. So Yeah, I I got it done, and, um, you know, it it didn't really float real well around the household. It flew very much the way a brick doesn't, Um, but, oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) that's exactly the terminology I used to describe it to somebody, exactly, to be honest with you.
0: Um,
1: No regerts, Um, but, yeah, so I, I got this, but I put the picture up on Facebook, and a lot of people, because of what we do, everybody was like, oh, he, he got a spell put on him. Or uh, Sherry Bean oh, was like, are you are you making a declaration to a water god or are you casting a spell? And then a few other people also messaged me saying different stuff like, so are are you a Satru now or are you starting to worship the Viking gods or what? I'm like, no, 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 no. This, oh, this is boy. just my kids' names. That's all this is. And I'm going to go back and have something else added to it, too. I'm probably going to have my mom's name added to it. <laughs> Thank you, but it's again. just funny, you know, I put it out there. <laughs> and then I had a guy come up my work the other day, and he was like, uh, are you a white supremacist? I'm like, no, why? And he goes, well, you've yeah, you've totally. got those symbols on your arms, and that's what <laughs> white supremacists use at their rallies. And I was like, oh, man, I never took that into consideration that somebody might say that. So very polite. Like, no, kids' names, that's one kid, that's the other. That's why I shaved off my goatee. Because of white supremacy? <laughs> because I was told by a woman that I respect
0: who also happens to be Puerto Rican told me I look like a white supremacist oh, no, with you it. did So I was not. like
1: Nope. No, no see way did you look like a white supreme You're you look like a Puerto Rican with a goatee. So I, I don't see how a Puerto Rican <laughs> that's like saying you're a Jewish Nazi. It just doesn't work. So <laughs> Well when I shave
0: my head they do the same thing.
1: Your skinhead Yeah whatever. Yeah, I, I fit what that I more am. better than you do because I frequently buzz almost all my hair off all the time. I've got a goatee and now I've got these symbols on my arm but um, so yeah. But it was it was just funny how how to be a white supremacist starter kit. Well, what's funny is because <laughs> the people that do a practice Asatru, they they get really pissed off when they see the white supremacists come in and try to like co op their language. And there's a big big movement amongst them that's like, leave our shit alone. You you already took the Nazi. To- yeah. It's the same thing that happened during the Nazi,
0: then you, yeah, you already took the
1: Nazi symbol and made it your symbol and it's not what the symbol was. Stay the hell away from us. You know, there's a big movement in that community to push these people out. And of course, white supremacists being white supremacists are dumbasses. So, you know, well, yeah, there's that. that, um, But it was just, it was all kind of funny how it all went down and everything. And, you know, I was just like immediately like, are you casting a spell? Is is this that or is that, what what does this mean? You know, but Sherry, Sherry Bean had the funniest thing. She's like, are are you declaring yourself to a water God or are you trying to? And I'm like, no, no, it's. From Sherry, that's like the first thing she did was pull out her book on ruins (laughs) and start going like, what is this? And what is that? And blah, blah, blah. So mission accomplished. I did exactly what I wanted to achieve. I wanted people to scratch their head and go, what is up with this dude? So it worked out pretty well. So, mm. um, anyways, uh, next week I don't, I don't think we're doing a show. Um, you've got uh,
0: competition, I have, right? I have. Yeah, competition so Saturday. If I someday. end up
1: doing a show, you won't be here, which is fine because I don't, don't, mean, don't even know what I we're going to because be, I do yeah. have enough links to do another ramble cast, uh, a less um, funny show. Um, there is some funny in there, but nowhere near to this extent that the last one was. Because people really liked hearing us do a ramble cast again. I think people just like hearing me angry. Yeah. Come are, to are that realization. Right now, are you talking in your non-angry voice? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh that <laughs> <board. laughs>
1: <laughs> So, anyways, I don't know Ugh. if we're going to do a show or not. Um. I do have a couple of guests that I'm trying to get on here. I'm trying furiously hard to get some kind of feedback from them, but things being the way they are right now, it's tough. So we'll leave it as we may or may not be here next week. We will see when the time comes. But um, I think that's it. I think that's everything. The one thing that I do want to say very much, and you will agree with me on this and you will know what I'm talking about, we have a few people out there right now that are listeners of the show. Um, they are close to us or have become close to us. and there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of shit right now. and uh, the one thing I want to say to everybody is strength. you know we're here for you if you need to talk, you know believe in yourself, fight the battles that you got no, to fight. What was that struggle alone? There's no There is no, no reason to struggle um, alone. You know there's there's people that i'm trying to help out and take care of right now and a lot of this is mutual you know it, it all feeds back yeah. on itself so you know everybody that's out there right now whatever you're going through just be strong fight your way through it and burn bright is what i like to tell these people and these people burn so very yeah. bright and you need to keep doing that so having Absolutely. said that uh this is rojan peace out from detroit Roger!